Welcome to Managing Marketing. Today I'm sitting down for a chat with Justin Ricketts, who's the CEO of Hogarth Australia. Welcome, Justin. Thanks, Darren. Good to be here. Mate, the reason uh, I uh, asked you to come in is because you wrote something in uh, LinkedIn where you were supporting this idea of, uh, it was an article that said uh, creative and media coming together or should come together again, but uh, that you think production should be outsourced. Yep. Why? Um, I think... So the article you're referring to, um, I, I think, having worked in both creative and media agencies, um, is that when it comes to sort of creative and strategy, I think it makes a huge amount of sense for that to be integrated and come together. But when it comes to production, I think production is something that operates at scale. Increasingly, is something that needs to operate at scale. And, and it's, it's a sort of a horizontal offering um, that if you try and integrate into um, a sort of single agency or combined agency, you end up with a siloed offering that doesn't have the scale, the technology, and the ability to compete and deliver what clients are looking for in today's marketplace. Look, um, I agree with you. Um, outs- um, decoupling or outsourcing has mm. been around for like two or three decades. I can remember back in the 90s they were talking about this in the UK. So why is it such a hot topic here in Australia? What, do you, what is it about Australian agencies or Australian marketers that uh, everyone's resisted this. I think you're showing your age if you're going back to the 90s, because I, I think what we've... Well, I'm a lot older you're than you, and, older and than therefore me. wiser, and you should respect me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think, ultimately, I think the important thing to recognise is that decoupling production has been driven by clients. It's not something that was created by... Um, by agencies or by specialist decoupled production companies. I think clients have typically driven a demand for a different way of producing things. So my understanding is the key wave for decoupling really came in 2008 in the GFC. Mm. Um, And a large amount of global clients were looking for more efficient ways to create sort of their global campaigns um, and deliver them locally. And the core service then was around sort of transcreation and local adaptation. So Hogarth, where I now work, um, that's where they got their first wave um, of demand from clients. I think the second wave that we're experiencing, not just in Australia, but I think globally, is being driven by the fact that most clients are now having to create more content to fill more channels mm. um, with you know, with much greater uh, agility. And funny enough, their budgets aren't getting bigger; they're getting smaller. So the market yeah, they're doing getting, more with less. They're doing they? more with less. Yeah. So if you're having to create more with less, and you don't want to put you don't want to affect the quality of your advertising content, then the reality is something has to change uh, and the model has to change. And, and what we put to the market is that the old way of doing things through relatively small siloed production offerings inside agencies, which worked when in the old world when they w- we were looking to just make a TV ad and a print ad, are no longer... A year for each brand, not a (laughs) week for every channel of social media. So the reality is, and in fact, uh, and this isn't a crack at the agencies, the agencies are now coming up with um, so much more content, um, and therefore you just need a different model. So what what we offer to the market is a specialised, consolidated sort of production offering that can operate at scale, but can invest in technology, automation, AI, um, workflows, um, and ultimately sort of eliminate all the all the inefficiencies, all the, du- all the duplication of account handling orders, and actually put more sort of um, craft on screen or into the work and deliver a more efficient model. 
But I, um, I've seen, and we've been involved in projects of decoupling production for clients, mm -hmm. and I've hit the most virulent personal attacks over this. I mean, people in agencies, and especially creative people, get really angry about this. Why do, they, why do you think it is? Because look, I get from a financial point of view, and I've seen agencies that are taking a haircut on things like retainers and fees for account management and creative and strategy. So they're trying to make their money on production. And if you decouple that, where are they gonna make money? So I get the financial side of it. Yeah. But what is it? Because the financial people, you can have a conversation and go, well, look, you know, I understand and so we'll put some, you know, we'll balance that out with your retainer, topping that up and things yeah. like that. Yeah. But the creative people, they go like maniacs. They, they spout all sorts of lies and mistruths. They go around spreading gossip and rumor. I mean, this is clearly something that is gone to the very heart of these people yep. and terrified the life out of them because they are overreacting. Yep. What is it? Well, yeah, do I have the answer to all of that? The, the answer is, one, I acknowledge there is a lot of emotion and there is a lot of tension when it comes to decoupling. Um, I think um, it's fair to say some agencies have adapted their production offerings, but most just simply don't have the scale um, or the technology or the capability to deliver a better mm. offering. The reality is what we're asking agencies to do is disrupt models that have been around since the 90s and I believe before or the 90s 50s. or the 50s and it's changed and in my experience having been involved in Hogarth here for about 12 months um, anything that's sort of is, uh, that's talking to change at this level um, is going to create sort of emotion and angst and whatever else and ultimately I, I actually don't think it's much more than the fact that we're dealing with change. But I, I would also say that but we... But change is inevitable. I mean, we're seeing change in every part of the business. Yeah, but, the, but it's the change so, that's... So it's actually the change to the creative department, isn't it? Yes, it is. Supposedly yeah. the most innovative and creative part of an agency yeah. doesn't like change. Yeah, but, but in their... Yeah, no, you're right. But in their defence, they are... You know, the creative department are passionate about you know, the, 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 the quality of the ideas and they want to see their ideas that they spend a lot of time creating executed brilliantly. And I think the misperception, which I actually put back on us, the misperception is we are still a low-cost adaptation production business. We were an adaptation business in 2008 where we were literally doing transcreation and localization. We are now as involved in primary production as we are secondary production. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found that once we've established that we actually complement each other, like in, in Hogarth and Arkham, we don't have strategy, we don't do sort of origination creativity. We just make stuff. Um, we are as passionate as creatives are about making great quality content. We, we have, we hire, I believe, more sort of, yeah, we're probably one of the biggest hirers of production specialists in this market and globally. So our job actually, and what we do complements the creative uh, agencies and, and our job is to actually one showcase our capabilities and the fact that we're able to actually work with amazing talent which is what they're actually obsessed by that they are really keen to work with the best talent in the market to realize we can access and work with their same talent we can create great quality content with more efficiencies and, and actually once the partnership is formed you've clear you clearly established clear sort of races and ways of working I've actually found that actually there isn't any tension and it's just the perception 
of the change and the fear of the change is what's causing all the angst uh, when you raise Well, the I had the head of the Communications Council summon me to a meeting because uh, well, I'll, I'll throw you some of the criticisms of decoupling. The first is it's going to destroy the production industry. Okay? Yep. So uh, that I was asked to explain how decoupling one client, one client was going to destroy the, the, the production industry. Is the production industry so fragile that one client decoupling their productions? And, yep. and by the way, we were decoupling it into production companies. Yep. It just wasn't the production companies that the creative people necessarily were, uh, wanted as their first preference. Yeah, so yeah, I think I understand your, I understand the question, but I don't really understand the assumption behind it. Because if you think about it, what we're actually needing to do as an industry is produce more assets, not less assets. Um, so nothing's de declining. And if anything, I think decoupled production agencies such as Hogarth are actually growing the industry. We're investing in talent, we're investing in technology, we're investing in innovation. And you know, yes, it's a different model. And yes, the industry's had to change. Uh, mostly to meet clients' expectations, but actually we are feeding um, the industry that everyone sort of feared that we're, we're apparently destroying. Okay, so the next uh, criticism I got is this is all about cost production and cheaper production means worse quality outcomes, worse ads. Yeah, but it's sort of... Um, yeah, no, okay. yeah. you can't argue. I mean, yeah. the whole reason we were doing this was to actually allow the client yeah. to get more for the money by by building relationships and eliminating yep. uh, what was waste. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, one of one of the key components of our business is cost, but the other component of our business is quality content. So, mm -hmm. in our proposition, if I simplified it, is is the best quality content as possible, delivered the most efficient way as possible. I think. What I believe our business does is we don't, um, the way we deliver best quality content is we actually eliminate all the unnecessary duplication all, and all the inefficiencies and that enables us to invest in better talent and more talent and better technologies to get a better product. So I, I, I fundamentally disagree that decoupled production means low cost production. Um, and I think yeah, there are a number of, sort of tactics um, and strategies we apply. So firstly... But, but generally... Yeah. The rule of thumb is that every time someone's decoupled, they end up at a lower cost because you get all the efficiencies. You eliminate the inefficiencies yep. of having to bespoke create something from scratch. Yep. You get all the economies of scale yep. because you build relationships with high quality production people who are willing to not charge the same as they would on a one-off one time only, yep. because they know there's going to be a succession of work coming exactly. through. Yeah. Um, you're going to get economies of scale because your processes are going to be finely honed because they're doing this day in and day out. Absolutely. All of these things don't actually damage quality. No, and I mean, why but they I, do deliver savings. They do deliver savings, and I would argue that when you have, I, I use an analogy of um, media agencies, and our, our media agency group is Group M. They have leveraged their scale when it comes to investment through Group M. And the product is no better off. They save their money, clients, but they're buying. As they well. save their clients' money. They save yeah. them. Yes, but they're, they're also buying better. Yeah. They've got better technologies. And I mean, the other thing, the other thing I find that. And because production is being traditionally intermediated through the creative agencies, clients haven't had visibility and transparency 
in terms of the assumptions being made around production. So the, at the moment, the perception is that we give transparency because we give loads of line items or we'll give three quotes or whatever else. But the reality is that doesn't provide transparency. The assumptions that the production company are making in terms of how they calibrate investment into an asset, uh, and there are different ways of, you know, there's always a, three or four different ways to create a piece of content. At the moment, I think clients have only seen one way to produce something. So, you know, one the other thing we all often do is we'll show different ways, and there are different budgets, not just different directors um, that can create that output. And, and sometimes it's a matter of sort of categorizing production. Maybe, you know, we have a black, gray, white sort of approach or framework. And sometimes you, you, you try and find real efficiencies for your white briefs, mm-hmm. uh, which enable you to spend more money and lift the quality of the content when you're focusing on your black briefs. So it's not always cost savings that go back to the client. Sometimes it's just working out that you know, you've got campaigns where you can be super efficient, which enables you to invest in better quality talent um, or you know, better quality assets. And, and the third uh, criticism that was uh, laid at my feet to answer was, I'm taking away the choice of who the creative people work with and therefore limiting the opportunity for creativity. Okay, so is that relating to... Um, oh, because we had a panel of uh, directors, all selected from production companies that the agencies had previously worked with yep. in the past 12 months. So it wasn't like we were bringing in ring-ins. Yep. They'd all worked with them. Yep. And we were just saying, you now got, instead of a choice of 50, you've got a choice yep. of 12. So I think, I think I'll say two things. Firstly, decouple production does not mean that and all production is consolidated into one provider. So when we are working with clients direct or through agencies, um, we are not trying to insource everything. So we, we are always contracting with directors. We're actually working with production companies mm. and, and there is the, the whole marketplace is a freelance marketplace. So, so you know, we, all, we, all, we always provide options. Uh, we transparently work with both our agencies and creators and our clients and, and sort of work with them to decide what we produce in-house and what we outsource effectively. The second thing is I think where that problem may have come is, I think if you go back in time, I think a lot of great talent was coupled to production companies and therefore if you were operating a decoupled model, your access to great talent was limited. Uh, Our view of the market today, both again in this market and globally, is that most of the production world is is operating on a freelance basis Mm -hmm. and we are, and we've demonstrated this since we've been alive here for eight months. we've, We've not had any issues in finding and being able to work with you with can book event. almost anyone you can't can. you um, so so it's not again and, and again but I, I don't think we've done a particularly good job and we're only six months old in this market but I think there is a perception that people can, and Hogarth hasn't been in this market so there's a perception of what we were mostly what we were in 2008 so I think we've got a job to do to sort of try and explain to people that yeah you know, we're actually partners that this isn't you know, we don't actually compete if you think about what a creative agency is predominantly doing it's creative and it's strategy and and we yeah, you know, I still like your analogy, and I've stolen it many times. Where you talk about prototyping a car and, and whatever else, and, and we see the creative agencies domain creating an ideating and conceptualizing and prototyping an idea, and, and we are the manufacturer of those ideas or, or those assets. And, and look, the reason that that uh, metaphor works for me is something you said earlier, right? Ten years ago, twenty years ago, an agency got a brief to come up with a TV ad and maybe three or four support channels like outdoor or press or something. Yep. Okay. And they made those. They made very specifically those outcomes. Yep. The same brief today is yes, we need a TV ad and we need it to work 
on Facebook and, uh, and other social media channels. We also need a whole range of uh, images that we can put on our Instagram account with different uh, memes and, and stuff that we can put into display. Yep. And so now there's two and a half thousand yep. pieces of work yep. from the one brief, yep. not four or five, yep. thousands, literally thousands. Yep. Now, is, am I going to get the designer of the car prototype, the person that's going to come up with the shape and the, the styling of the next, uh, you know, Maserati, to then uh, hand manufacture every single one to the customer's needs? No. Or am I going to get them to design one yeah. and then build the most efficient and effective way of producing every colour, every style, every combination? Yeah to the quality that that designer expects. Every single time. Yeah. At the lowest possible cost because yeah. I need to make a profit on it. Yeah. And funny enough, your analogy goes back and when you think about when cars were made back in the 40s and 50s, it probably was the case because there was such a small volume of cars that that prototype and designer was probably involved in making the handful of cars. But when, they've, you know, when they're now making thousands of cars, funny enough, they're using factories in in Asia to produce them. So I think it's a very good analogy. And in fact, I think you, your analogy works in virtually every other, you know, uh, where, where's the perfume um, that's being conjured up in L'Oreal? Yeah. I'm sure that's probably coming out with some very smart people in Paris, but I doubt those same people are bottling bottles Going into the factory and no. uh, actually hand blending it themselves? No, no so, so, so. so, and I think to your earlier question is, where's the tension? The tension is in the handover. And I'm sure there's some tension between the person who's prototyped a car and seeing that first car. So the tension in our business is once we've got someone who's got a, a concept, obviously how we execute that first concept, and this is the primary production is where the tension is. And that's where we have to work really well together. Mm. Uh, and that's where you know we as specialists in production need to deliver, I think, to the, to the vision that the creators have got. But we also have to bring in the fact that we have a client ultimately that we're both trying to make content for and they have to prioritize where and how they spend their money. Mm. Um, so, so it's sort of, but, but to be really honest, we are, you know, we, we're working, we work every day with virtually every creative agency in the market. So we have to work with them. And we find once we're working together, we don't find there's any tension. I think the tension is around um, where people haven't yet experienced it. And it's the fear of what's it's going to mean. That's when people the get The fear of doing something different. different. But once we're doing something Isn't different. Isn't that innovation? Yes. Isn't that creativity? Yeah, well, yeah, you think it is. I mean, I, you, I mean creativity is doing yeah, something different, different because yeah. apparently, you know, if you steal an idea from an older Khan Award uh, reel and uh, put it up again as a new idea, the creative industry howls them down as just ripping people off. Yeah, yeah. So they want innovation and they want uh, in, uh, yeah. creativity yeah. and they want uniqueness, except when it comes to the way they the do way they their do work. I'll tell, I'll tell you the thing that I found that has is the easiest way I think to sort of break through this is when it comes to digital and it comes to most clients we're speaking to have uh, uh, um, really want to personalize their communication through digital. They've now got the data, mm. they now trust their media agencies and their buying platforms or else. So they've, they've got this ability now to, to, to use programmatic advertising and really personalize. But the problem is the creative hasn't followed. Now, your analogy earlier sort of we used to make five, now we make a thousand. If you think about the ability and the opportunity to, de to develop and serve dynamic creative, and there are 15, 30, 40,000 iterations mm. of those. You know, that, that for me, there's so much of a shift in expectation, and that can't be done 
with humans. So, I mean, this is where we, you know, we, we oh, they're using AI and we're using and, AI and automation. And again, yeah. but to do that, you need to build platforms, and to build the platforms, you have to spend millions of dollars. And and that's why, again, you need scale, scale locally and globally yeah. to be able to invest in those platforms. And again, and again, it's totally complementary. So, in that world. Um, we we were absolutely hand in hand with creative or digital agencies to to come up with the right strategies and the right templates. But then we build the templates and roll out all the creative optimization of those templates. And, and I don't think anyone actually finds that at all disruptive or that difficult. I think it when it, it's when it comes to those sort of that primary production and looking for efficiencies there. I think the the agencies uh, bemoan the price pressure they've been under for the last 10 years, mm-hmm. right? That there's this constant uh, downward pressure on fees and yet they've not done themselves, they've done themselves a disservice. They haven't done themselves proud because in actual fact, if they'd embraced technology mm-hmm. and actually delivered the efficiencies to the clients, they could have held on to this. Couldn't they? Or do you think that scale would bring every agency undone? I think, uh, I think in today's marketplace, I don't believe that um, a single agency uh, would be able to even meet. even a big network agency, like you know, like or, or you're talking about you know a, a, a single agency, certainly. Uh, well, even uh, the monkeys were bought by Accenture. They must have deep pockets to uh, invest in technology. Or is there just not enough volume? I don't think for one agency. But then you don't have the volume, and then and and it's yeah. There's it's technologies, and yeah, because you've got it's not just digital technologies. You're you're trying to automate and find efficiencies in print. You need post. Yeah, videos. You know, obviously a key focus. So you've you've then got to have post production capabilities, Mm -hmm. both locally and then you know increasingly. Our model is looking at you know, we have an on-site inside a client or an agency an off-site which is usually in close proximity in market and then offshore so again yeah you know, what we're finding is most of our global clients you know the expectations and the need to drive price down can't be solved in a single market um, you know we are needing to put work that can be put offshore into a low-cost delivery center and you know that can be post-production that can be large volume print it can be digital bills so so a single again potentially a global networked agency possibly but again i think it's scale it's no different to your manufacturing analogy um, so i think the sad part is that uh, they stopped charging for the creative idea and they stopped charging for the strategy and tried to recoup it in production and then you come along and start offering a viable uh, alternative that takes that away from them because you know some of the biggest complaints that we get and and jobs that we get is uh, i had a client come to me and uh, they had made a TV ad and needed some pre-rolls. Mm-hmm. And the agency had 12 hours for a creative team to work out how to cut that 30 into a 10 and a six second pre-roll. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, Gee, that's a hard job. That's a hard job. But again, the bit I don't know, which is your area, is um, you know, how do they turn that around then? Because they, they, they need to be getting paid and they should be getting paid for the quality of strategy and creative. So, mm. I mean, but. I am not my area, but then I can understand some of the financial pressures that are on some. So of what it. you're seeing is that this is a trend that is gaining momentum. This is you know, this is you're this getting clients in this country yep. definitely and openly considering this as a viable alternative. Absolutely. And I think I think when we started Hogarth here in June last year, I think the perception in the market was 
that decoupled production was a global sort of trend happening in developed sort of markets in the UK, Europe, and and the US, and it wasn't really going to be relevant here. So Australia is a undeveloped well, market. It is a developed market, but I think there was a perception that decoupling uh, wasn't really. No, relevant no, I was uh, sorry. I was told decoupling has failed in America, UK, well, and Europe. I mean, what has uh, it? I, has when, it failed? I don't. Well, when when I look at again, I'm new to Hogarth. You know, when I look at their client roster. Um, and in typically they, and not just our client roster, our competitors, mm-hmm. um, they are mostly some of the biggest brands, some of the most successful brands, some of the most um, sort of um, sophisticated marketing brands that have decoupled production and continue to decouple production, mostly with the same decoupled production partner for many years. You know, so yeah, our client base, you know, most clients have been with us since 2008. Mm-hmm. So if this isn't working, um, then why are all these companies, these big companies that are, are sophisticated marketing companies, continuing to decouple? And why? Because they're, they're creating great work, and in fact, they're creating great work in partnership with other agencies. And I think so. You know, our wave and growth here has been fed by. We've obviously got global clients that we're looking for a better solution locally. But actually, I think the piece that everyone's misunderstood is there are a lot of local clients hmm. that are that are understandably having to look at all of their cost space yeah. and, and production hasn't been the sort of thing that I think people have looked at. So production, there seems to be a wave and it will sort of flow around oh, the... Uh, 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 <laughs> well, and, and this is a long time ago, okay? I've been doing this for 18 years, so this would be probably about 15 years ago. I got called by a client who said, I've just had the account director on the phone from the agency and they've warned me that if Trinity P3, we'll call P3 back then, if P3 keeps being involved in the production, the magic will disappear. (laughs) And I went, I want to come and meet with your agency and see the magic trick that's going to disappear. Yeah. I mean, this is the sort of, you know, emotional garbage Mm -hmm. that gets peddled as trying to stop change. Yeah. 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 We're aligned on that. And I think change, I mean, as you say, it's, it's ironic that you've got an industry that's all about creativity and innovation, but we're, we're resisting. Well, especially yeah, because everything everything we do yeah. is different. I mean, the thing that I'm, I, I see as an ex-creative person is that if I can find a more efficient way of producing the idea, then I don't have to do the pre-roll or the online video as a cut down of the yeah. 30. I could actually even have a budget to make something different, yeah. and to actually yeah. shoot something that makes me a 30 for TV, yeah. but then has a uh, whole lot of other materials that tell a, a further story online or as a pre-roll. So, yeah. so, so whilst we deliver cost savings, often it's, you know, clients want to save costs, but they also want to create more content. Yeah. So if they want to create more content and they need to be active and do some DCO, or they need to be on, on, on social. You know, often, we're not actually sort of taking sort of production away, we're just getting more for less. Is there a calm line for pre-roll? Could you get a titanium <laughs> for best pre-roll? Possibly, I saw one, mm. it was quite good. But, um, <laughs> um, but again, I don't know. So. No, look, uh, it, it, it's interesting. And, and so, you know, apart from decoupling, we're also seeing big clients take production in-house. Mm-hmm. Now, that's sort of decoupling. And in fact, Unilever have just said that they save 30%. They've publicly said they've saved 30% on what production costs them with their agencies. Yep. They've bought that in-house. I don't know if they've built it or they've outsourced someone they've to come and build it for them. Yep. But what 
Yeah, and I know this is a tough question. I'm not asking for um, uh, any names, but what could a an advertiser expect, like efficiencies, not savings, efficiencies? What could they, if they've got $100,000 now, what could they turn that into by decoupling? So, yeah, well, uh, you're going to think I'm avoiding your question. But the yeah, problem, I know the, you the, will, the, because no, no, uh, the, the, if you put a price, every client will turn up and go, I want that. No, uh, the, the problem with the question is it, it depends on, I mean, one, you can imagine, so I can answer it, if there was a global client that wants to create a global campaign working across multiple agencies and multiple markets, that's very different to a local client with a local campaign working with one agency to a client that wants to create all yeah, resources. So it's so, got to have a volume of work so, so, to justify. And it depends yeah. on the nature of the work. It depends on the, the craft. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there are different savings delivered, I think, in motion, print, and digital. It also so there could be clients that there's no savings to um, I've yet to find one. Um, um, because but what you're saying is there could be. I, I would say that there are savings between naught and up to 60% if you want a headline. Right. Um, but uh, again, what it depends on, though, is how inefficient the current process is. Yeah, of course. Um, how willing... Um, a client and their other stakeholders are to embrace new ways of working, to embrace new races, to embrace new technologies, to embrace automation, to embrace offshoring. So th the reason is it, it literally can be nought if they don't embrace any change and they're super efficient, right up to a really big number. But it's yeah. slightly on them. And um, so one of our- Of course, one I mean, that, that's, that's one of the things, isn't it? Yeah. Is that it depends on the amount of change that you're willing to embrace. And that's the amount of change the marketers are willing to embrace. Because yep. you know, a lot of inefficiency in the production process is because many marketers don't understand the implications that their decisions have yep. on the cost and the time yep. it takes. And they're often, in their defense, they often don't have the information available to even be able to make those decisions because mm. often they are just given um, a number. They just get told that this script or this idea is going to cost $300,000. And there's no, and I think I've got, uh, I challenge the concept of, um, of triple bidding. Now we, to be clear, um, if there is a need and a client wants to triple bid. You mean the procurement the process procurement of process. making sure you go to three separate suppliers yep. Yep. to tender and put a response yep. to a particular yep. process. So, so yep. when I say I'm, I, I have issues, that we, we will triple bid and we will run that procurement. And if we do, and one of the, one of the things people misunderstand about businesses like us is if we were to run a triple bid we will not participate in that triple bid um, because yeah. clearly if we're running a triple bid and we are one that's not fair that's not transparent <laughs> but we can well that's what people have got into trouble in the US what, for so, so, yeah. so that hasn't been happening that isn't what we do mm. But so we will triple bid but the problem or the, the problem I have with the concept of it is I actually don't believe it gives clients what they want I think what they're looking for is, is options um, I don't actually think and typically what they get when you do a triple bid is you get three three prices are all the same. They're usually all 10% over the budget the client's given you. And all you're really getting is three different director's treatments. That's right. Um, we used to call it the check quoting. And you could always tell a check quote. You could always tell which a, uh, which director the agency wanted to work with because that was the only one that came with the director's treatment. Because okay. a director at a production company will not do a director's treatment if the producer is just putting in a quote to make up the numbers. Yeah. They're not going to do it to themselves. I mean, it's a creative process yeah. to actually put a treatment together. Yeah. The other thing is, I, you know, I, I think that the whole idea of that tendering process actually can damage the creative enthusiasm a director has. If you sit down with a director and you work through all of the cost issues, yeah. right, 
and say, well, here's the parameters we've got to work with. They can bring like millions of dollars of extra value yep. just by rethinking Absolutely. rather than trying to just make it as cheap as possible or yep. hit a certain number. If you actually go the other way and, and reasonably and independently assess the value, yep. then you can work with a director to actually Absolutely. deliver beyond that in intangible ways. Yeah, and then, and then so what we would typically But agencies do, don't do that. I don't think they do. Um, no, they don't. Well, Believe we, me, I've seen yeah. I've seen hundreds no. of yeah. uh, quotes and it yeah. doesn't work. And, and this is what we say, you get three quotes. What we would try and do is provide, you know, we might provide three options, but the options might be, yeah, the three prices would be very different. So mm. yeah, the, the, the client might have a budget in mind of 200. We would typically come back and say, well, this is what you'll get for 200, but this is what you get for 100, and this is what you might get for 300. And you'll get, so you'll get three different prices, you'll get three different outputs. Mm. Yeah, so the middle one, you might get your TV spot and a couple of cut downs and a couple of pre-rolls. Um, but then one of them, you might get a whole bunch of social content and a whole bunch of photography. So, so we look at different options, and then we, we find we need to sit down with the creatives, who are a stakeholder and the client, and make some decisions. Mm. Um, and that needs to be done collaboratively, and I don't, I don't believe the sort of triple bid does anyone ever favours? Yeah. I think the other uh, issue is where the clients often brief work without providing a budget. Yep. Right? And the trouble with that is it suddenly becomes this whole open field. Yep. Yeah. And we had a, uh, we had a client, new brand manager, uh, they, they briefed the agency. The big mistake they made is I want a bigger and better idea than the last campaign we ran three years ago. So that immediately go is more expensive because a bigger idea is more expensive. Yep. And um, uh, the agency presented ideas and they put them through, uh, put the idea through link testing. So Millwood Brown said, yes, this is going to work. It's bum off on TV. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they know that, but anyway. And then it got quoted and it was almost three times what they'd allowed. Yep. And the only way they could afford it is to eat into their media budget, which means a lot less people would see it. Yep. Now, there was this huge argument. Media's going, no, no, we need to people to actually see the ad. Yep. And the creatives are going, no, 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 uh, this ad's so good, they'll only need to see it once. Yep. You know? And it was a huge disaster. We got called in to see if you could do it cheaper. Most ideas don't have, you know, three times... It yeah. doesn't work. By the time you get to a certain point, you yeah. lose quality. So think about what would happen back to your car analogy. Mm. Um, so if someone's prototyped this amazing car and they haven't brought in the manufacturers to consult on how they're going to be able to, you know, you'll have the same scenario. So they've mm. got this amazing car that they want to sell at $30,000 a pop and produce 15,000 of them. But yeah, you need to bring in the, the production specialist earlier into that process to make yeah. sure that that's great. Because again, a production specialist will know very quickly they'll be able to ballpark that. Um, mm. But also, I mean, I, I had a case, again, I, I won't name the client or the project, but there was a, a, a script that required a shoot in New York. Uh, and, and, and the reason it needed a script in New York, it had talent that was based in New York. But the range we were able to give, literally, for that was, was from 150 to 900. Mm. So it's a not, a not a small range. And it depended on, and the, the big thing was how you approach it. If you approached it as a TV ad, and you had a TV director, and you had the TV entourage, the reality was it drove up costs. If you tra- if you treated the same script as a sort of through a documentary director, they would naturally want to shoot more authentically with smaller crews. Or you literally got an eight hundred k difference, uh, both using beautifully high end directors, but totally different treatments. Now, mm. so so that I don't think you'd get through the traditional approach, and, no. that, and that's where yeah you ask what savings can you get. Well, if you gave me that brief. Oh. 
I, I could give you an 800 or uh, 800% Yeah, no, we, we uh, were asked to look at a production that was shot on a tropical beach. Um, and uh, the agency and the production company were recommending Mauritius mm -hmm. because apparently that's the best coloured water there. I don't think they'd heard of telecinics <laughs> or colour grading. Um, and of course, no uh, infrastructure there. It all had to be boated or flown in. Yeah. Um, and we're talking multi-million dollar production. Yeah. And we, were, we recommended uh, uh, two or three alternatives, including mm -hmm. still shooting on a location, just yep. not Mauritius. Yep. Yeah, and, and not even in Australia, still shooting offshore, but certainly a lot cheaper because the infrastructure was there. Um, but uh, after all that process, uh, they still shot in Mauritius because you know, the brand manager wanted a uh, one-week <laughs> holiday. And uh, absolutely, why not? <laughs> yeah. So there's some people you just can't save them any money. Yep. Even if they want to. No, absolutely. Well, how much for a Mauritian holiday? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> um, so you must work... Uh, much closer with marketers then, you know, when you've decoupled production, you're working with the agency, but you'd also be working with the marketers directly, wouldn't you? Yes, and it slightly depends on sort of whether you're talking primary or secondary production. I think when you're talking primary production, so we're making a new yeah. uh, TV spot, um, I think we are still um, working very closely um, with the creative agency. I think when you move further down to the sort of long tail of marketing assets, um, that the concept is that's when um, you're 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 not needing as as much creative involvement, if any creative involvement. So in the, in this case, we're usually using um, sort of online workflow tools uh, that are enabling clients to brief direct to us through technology, um, where they can approve the work you know, online, uh, and we can then implement that work directly into market you know, at a fraction of the cost and a fraction of the time. Mm. So again, it depends on where you are in the. In the so when process. you're working with so primary production. Does the agency send along their producer and you've got your producer and, you know, some clients have their own producer? Are you having a bit of a producer fest here? So, um, ideally, no. So, if you're, if you're implementing a decoupled um, partnership in primary correctly, the, the actual answer is no, we're actually reducing um, the amount of producers. So, yeah, in the, yeah, the only time in our world you'd have more than one producer is if we needed a digital producer and a motion producer and yeah. we would never have a situation where we need we have an agency producer a motion a line producer and a client producer in one room yeah the, the way what we've what we've typically tried to do is recruit what i'd call a hybrid producer that can, can that can manage the agency side but also do the line producing so actually it's eliminating um, mm. a role so again another stakeholder um going back to one of your earlier questions in terms of um the change and the implications is the agency producer role has changed um, because the agency producer role, if you think about it, in the old days was to procure third-party production through their contacts. And that has changed as companies like Hogarth have, have been built where you've got these scaled operations. So mm -hmm. the need to sort of only procure third-party production is no longer the, really, the core role. So that core sort of role of an agency producer has changed. Now that doesn't mean um, there aren't great agency producers, but the great agency producers that we continue to work with or have moved across to, to Hogarth are the, are the agency producers that also understand how to make content and effectively do the production company production role. I, I, saw a, um, I saw a production that had four producers on it. Four. Yeah. I just wondered how they were actually going to get along because there was the agency producer. Yeah. They had, uh, there was a facilitation producer. They were shooting uh, in Europe. So yeah. they, a facilitation company 
had yep. their producer. Then there was actually the local production company yep. producer. And then they had a visual effects producer because there was a huge amount of visual effects. So they had to be on the shoot. Yep. And I just, uh, I could actually see, because they were you know, all speaking different languages, it would have been quite entertaining. Yep. But I imagine from a client's point of view, when they sit there and there's this sort of festival of producers, they just think, well, why am I paying for all those people? Yeah. Well, if they are, then that's not that's not the model operating efficiently. Yeah. Um, I mean, because, yeah, and again, I think it gets worse than your scenario. I mean, that's an offshore shoot, but if you're shooting here, you, you, what you can have is an agency producer, the producer looking after the TV content, another producer, and in fact, another production company looking after the social content, and then you've got another team looking after the photography content, and yeah, someone yeah. else is doing better. So actually, the approach we try and take is, again, it's consolidating those needs um, and trying to take a sort of holistic view of all the content we've got to create for all the different stakeholders. And there are, yeah, the, the reality is good hybrid producers are able to line produce and agency produce, and you know, effectively the agency producers are really just managing all the stakeholders. Yeah. And the reality is there are people, and, and the smart agency producers, I think, have, have developed their skills and have learned how to line produce. In fact, all the agency producers I've met, the, the bit they enjoy of their job is when they get out and, and they can get, and go and make stuff. Um, yeah. so, so it's just a matter of, I think, it's been a matter of training and upskilling some of the people in the yeah. agencies. So, so you're not going to uh, you know, have this uh, duplication of roles because you're actually bringing a lot of those siloed approaches, you know, because production is still largely a linear approach, isn't mm -hmm. it? Yep. You know, it still goes through, like like the um, production line in a car factory. You yep. can't put the engine in until you've got the chassis, right? Yep. So it has to follow a linear approach. But the thing that always amazed me was that to get those, that coordination so that you could have multiple lines running in parallel mm -hmm. and, and coordinating so they could actually get to the end of the process and deliver everything. And I, I think the primary, you just mentioned it, the best example was always when you want to send a still photographer or a videographer to capture the behind the scenes, the director would always be, oh, I'm not having people running around yeah. my shoot like, you know. Yeah. Um, so you have to have, in that case, one producer who's who's delivering to the needs. Because you know what? The photography need is actually just as important as the TV exactly. need. And therefore, yeah, the, the, you might have a director that's only focused on the TV content, but the producer's role there is to make sure all assets are captured from the shoot as efficiently as possible and to make the compromises and, and whatever else. And you can't have four producers all saying the same thing. So I, I think it's quite, again, I, I don't think what we do is is, is that complicated. We, we look at the way things have been done and they've often in production, I think production's as old fashioned as, as the advertising industry. So what we've done, what we're doing is trying to look at all the bad habits that we've mm. got used to and find, find ways to disrupt them uh, in the, in, and to find efficiencies. But again, I can tell you that every single person in Hogarth, for example, you know, what makes them turn up to work is they want to create great work. So this theory that we produce low quality work um, and this is just because it, it's the exact opposite. If you walk around the building, you've got people that are passionate, they're craftspeople, mm. and that's that's what makes them turn up to work. That's what makes them stay late. So it's not about low quality. It's actually just about finding a way of creating great quality content as efficiently as possible. I, I, I always try and explain to uh, marketers and advertisers that there is not a single good production creative person in the world that wants to turn up to work each day and produce crap. Yeah. You know? yeah. All you need to do is set the parameters and the framework yeah. 
of what they can work and let them go to work to produce yep. the best thing that they can yep. within that framework. Yep. But there are some things that don't need high craft, high touch. Um, yeah. and, and that's, I go back to sort of thinking of a black, grey, white brief. There are some things that I think we are guilty, and it could be us, it could be an agency, it could be a client. We sometimes are guilty of over-calibrating. Over-engineering. Over and, and I think the best example is actually social, because I mean, you know, and, and you, you do the analysis of when stuff goes up on certain channels, it's got a lifespan of seven minutes or one hour or whatever yeah. else. And, you, and there are still people, I think, applying the same process and methodology around that piece of content that's going to last seven minutes to something that was going to go on TV and have $3 million worth of spend and live for a year. So, so you have to recalibrate and you have to make sacrifices and compromises so that that production is sort of fit for channel and is fit for the investment and the return it's going to get. So that, again, it just requires different thinking. Yeah. And so yes, you, you will spend less money and you will um, find real efficiencies if you're going to create something that's going to last on yeah, you know, piece of social for seven minutes. Why would you spend the same money? <laughs> hey, Justin, when I asked you to come in and have this conversation, I knew it was going to be a lot of fun. Thanks for uh, making the time. Pleasure. My first podcast. And um, I've just got one last question. Okay. Uh, do you ever enter any of this work you do into the Khan Awards? Mm-hmm.